I'm Liz Sauer, and this is Ghosts in the Burbs, a podcast of ghost stories from Wellesley, Massachusetts. A warning, adults who use adult language told me these frightening tales, these ghost stories, aren't for kids. As we've all come to learn, I have a batch of about three to five interviews in me every few months before I need to focus the time I have to write each week on one of my other projects. And here we are on story number five in this particular batch. Summer approaches ominously, so we're gonna call it right here. Let's take the summer to reset. I intend to finish the book for the fourth time or so and hope this is the version that finally makes it. I'll be wrapping up my little Patreon drawings this week and we'll put the Patreon charges on pause again until fall. Thank you so very much to all who've donated. So let's meet back here for our high holy season. But before I go, I have an interview to share. There are always loose ends to be tied and leads to follow up on, but as usual, we're not gonna do that right now. We're going to meet a group of marvelously quirky Wellesleyans who share our love for the strange and unusual. We're on to ghost story number 72, The Strange Phenomena Society. There's a comment that I get once in a while on my Instagram posts or within a review of the podcast. It's something along the lines of, I'd like to have a glass of Chardonnay and shoot the shit with Liz. It's a very kind sentiment, but I can say with absolute confidence that I would disappoint you. Oh, there may have been a time several years ago when I could let loose and gossip and connect, but those days have passed me by. I cannot get a handle my anxiety. I actually don't know if I can call it anxiety anymore. feels like it's morphed into something bigger. No matter what, it's always lurking in the periphery, waiting to take center stage when I turn off the audiobook or look up from TikTok or stop talking to the kids. But then, don't other people feel this way? Doesn't everyone worry? Doesn't everyone have to watch their children physically walk into the school building and see the door close firmly behind them to be sure that they actually made it into the foyer and weren't snatched by a kidnapper between the car door and the school entrance? Doesn't everyone back their car up in a parking lot with their windows down to be sure they could hear someone scream if they accidentally backed over them? And then still anxiously eye the rearview mirror to make sure they haven't left a body in their wake? Don't you sometimes bite your nails so badly that it's painful to hold a pen? No? The demon assigned to you tortures you in other ways? Well, whatever they're tormenting you about, I hope you give them hell. At any rate, my point stands. If you met me in person, I would most likely disappoint you. This thing we call anxiety makes me self-absorbed, self-involved, selfish, unreliable. The exhausting, never-ending loop of what-ifs and maybe that did happens running constantly at the front, back, and sides of my mind. I'm not really here. I'm 10 steps ahead and 30 paces behind at any given moment. I just want to be home. I just want my whole family to be there too, safe and sound, away from the world. I just want to take a nap. It's the only goddamn escape. And yet... Kind, extroverted, community-oriented people persist. Thank God for them. I met a group of sociable people yesterday, and I simply must get down all my impressions before they fall out of my head. 
I've been given full permission to share the details and all their beautiful, bizarre glory with you as long as I keep the identities of all those involved hush-hush. They'd like to keep their little group a secret for now, though they would be totally open and welcoming to new prospective members, so long as said prospects adhere to the group's agreed-upon values of open-mindedness, curiosity, and love of all things paranormal. I hemmed and hawed before responding to their invitation to attend their next meeting. I've agreed to similar invitations only a handful of times and have desperately regretted the decision to attend such events about 75% of the time. Miscommunication and my irritating bent towards people-pleasing have been the most common reason for me to find myself in awkward situations in connection with this podcast. But the proposed meeting appeared low stakes and interactive. I wasn't being asked to give a talk or tell a story or anything like that. I responded to the email invitation with a few clarifying questions and finally agreed to meet the group for tea at 1.30 at the home of Janice. To be extra clear, that's a fake name and we're going to admit her last name too, even a fake one. Her house happened to be on my very favorite spooky street in Wellesley. Again, I must keep it all hush-hush, but if you were to pick the spookiest slash coziest street with the highest chance of being haunted by something, then this would be the street that you would pick. In fact, I've spoken to two other people who have lived on this street. An additional fact, you've listened to both of their interviews, and the street is indeed haunted. Now, I am not a real fan of tea. I drink it almost every night, the sleepy time kind with valerian root in it, which helps me to sleep through the night. It does make my dreams a little vivid, but much less so than that devil's herbal remedy melatonin, and without the hangover of Advil PM. But as a drink, I find tea too, I don't know, leafy, and it actually makes me thirsty for some reason. I only bring it up to say that the tea Janice had on offer was the strongest, leafiest, most medicinal tasting tea I've ever had to the point that I wondered if I were being poisoned. And that was even with the addition of five sugar cubes. Everyone else at the meeting raved about it, praising our host's good taste and superior selection. As so often happens, I was left wondering what I'd missed. Did they mean what they were saying? Had they all had the sort of upbringing in which one's taste buds were taught to enjoy tea from a young age? Were they like me, only being polite? I didn't think so. But I was the only one that didn't go for a refill. So who was this tea-loving group who asked me to join them for their monthly meeting? They are the Strange Phenomena Society, a group of curious individuals with varying levels of enthusiasm for the paranormal who meet secretly to discuss their own spooky experiences. They told me they'd had a lively debate over naming their group. Janice felt that Haunted Friends Society excluded those members who were not affected by ghosts, but by other creatures. Arthur saw seekers of the paranormal as a misnomer. They weren't actually seeking anything other than support, while Isabel and Carly took exception to the name Church of the Paranormal Experience. They didn't want to give the impression that they were affiliated with any religion. In the end, they landed on Strange Phenomena Society, SPS for short. The five of us were arranged around a circular dining table in Janice's kitchen. The table sat before a curved picture window overlooking a wild backyard. Beyond it lay the Crosstown Trail. 
Above us hung a large black lantern light fixture, a new addition to the room for which the group praised Janice while she hemmed and hawed, wondering if it was a mistake. No snacks were provided, but an agenda was distributed. 1 p.m. Meet and greet and tea. 1.15 p.m. Introductions. 1.25 p.m. Arthur's story. 1.35 p.m. Isabel and Carly's story. 1.45 p.m. Janice's story. 1.55 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. Questions and discussion. It was 1.15 p.m. Introduction time. My heart raced, as it always did in a group setting. I was asked to go first. Hi, I offered with an awkward wave. I'm Liz. I live here in Wellesley, and I interview our neighbors about their hauntings. There was an expectant silence. And your psychic abilities, prompted Janice. Oh, no, I said quickly. I'm not psychic, like, at all. But a while ago, I began to hear ghosts, and now I'm actually able to see them and talk to them. Only ghosts? The one man in the group prodded. Well, no, I guess, yeah, I've seen other things. Creatures, I suppose. Another awkward silence. I'll go next, Janice finally declared. Her fine blonde hair was slicked back into a low ponytail, and she wore a matching navy blue sweater set and cropped straight leg khakis. Aside from a truly impressive diamond eternity wedding band, she wore no other jewelry. I'm Janice along with Arthur here, she indicated the man sitting opposite her. I am one of the founding members of the SPS. My interests lean toward cryptids, though I do love a good haunted house story. There were chuckles around the table. Today, I intend to detail my findings regarding the were creature living behind our home. She motioned to the picture windows beside us. I couldn't help myself. I peered out, half expecting to see a werewolf standing there waving at us. I have a few photographs I'd like to share as well, she concluded. Oh, great, the woman beside her enthused. I'll go next. I'm Isabel. My daughter, Carly, she smiled at the young woman beside her who returned the grin, and I lived in a haunted house for several years. I'm going to talk about what happened when we were living there, and Carly, well, she laughed. I'll let Carly tell you what she wants to share. Thanks, Mom. The women had identical hair, though Isabel wore her deep brown curls just above the chin, while her daughter's was well past her shoulders. I'm Carly, and I've kept in touch with the family who lives in our house. I wanted to update the group and tell you all what's been happening in that house since we moved. How interesting, Janice remarked. That leaves me, the large man beside her intoned. He was 40-ish, with light brown hair and a messy beard. He wore black-rimmed glasses and a scotch plaid flannel. I'm Arthur. I've had several experiences throughout my life, but today I'd like to share a situation that I am currently dealing with. He cleared his throat. My next-door neighbor is a psychic vampire, and I believe she has been targeting me since November of 2022. I did my damnedest to arrange my features in a pleasant, neutral expression because they were all staring at me. Wow, I managed. I can't wait to hear everything. Great. Janice clapped her hands together. We are right on target. 
Arthur, lead us off. Arthur folded his hands on the table before him. Are you familiar with the text in brackets? Name of building omitted and brackets. I indicated that I knew of the luxury building, but had never been inside. Well, I've lived there for about three years now, and six months ago... Oh! Janice exclaimed, interrupting him. The timer! She retrieved a small cooking timer from the kitchen counter, then sat back down, cranking the turn and setting it to alarm to the ten-minute mark, before placing it in the center of the table. I laughed lightly, though the rest of the table remained serious. I apologize, Arthur, she offered. Continue. Not at all, he replied. He started to go on with his story, but seemed to change his mind. If you don't mind my asking, are you seeing any spirits here with us right now? Nope. I can kind of turn off my antenna, if that makes any sense. Though, if there's someone or something persistent around, they always manage to get through to me. He nodded. What about your guide? Claire? Um, no. She's not here with us right now. Arthur stared thoughtfully at the table, as though considering what I'd said. Shall I restart the timer? Janice asked, the lightest edge in her voice. We have scheduled time for questions and discussion after sharing our stories. No, no, I apologize for veering off track, he replied calmly. As I was saying, six months ago, a new neighbor moved into the condo unit beside mine. That particular unit had been empty for approximately three months, its previous owner having died unexpectedly of heart failure. In the apartment? I asked. Yes. As a matter of fact, it was a shock to everyone. He was only 38, and he did not have any history of heart problems or disease. From what I gather, it took some time for his family to sort out his finances and such, and... Well, at any rate, they sold his condominium to a woman who happened to be one of his former co-workers. So, your new neighbor worked with the guy that died in the condo, and then bought the place from his family. Yes, Arthur replied tersely. Sorry, just trying to keep it all straight. I pursed my lips, determined not to continue interrupting the guy. After all, the clock was literally ticking. I am not a nosy person, Arthur went on, but I couldn't help but notice how little this woman brought with her into the condo. It is a two-bedroom unit with a small office space. She seemed to move in one evening with just the clothing on her back. No movers, no boxes. I didn't see any furniture whatsoever. Maybe you weren't there when everything arrived, I suggested, unable to help myself. He shook his head. I work from home, and aside from these monthly meetings and an occasional family get-together, I seldom leave my home for more than an hour or so to go for a walk or run errands. Besides, I've been inside her condo. She invited me over for a glass of wine about a month after she moved in. It was completely bare. I made the mistake of returning the invitation a couple weeks later, feeling that it was the polite thing to do to reciprocate, and I believe that's when she began to prey on me. Oh, you invited her in, I said dramatically. Precisely. I am not a heavy drinker. The night she came to my apartment, I had exactly one glass of Sauvignon Blanc and followed it with two large glasses of club soda. 
The following morning, I woke up with what felt like the worst hangover of my entire life. It's a feeling that has become entirely too familiar. I realized that he did actually look kind of hungover. My first impression of him had been that he didn't put much effort into his appearance, but now I realize the faint blue circles beneath bloodshot eyes, scruffy beard, and messy hair might be more of a sign of exhaustion. That sick feeling persisted. I wondered for a time if perhaps I was dealing with COVID or its after effects, but when I began to notice signs of someone having been in my apartment, I started to suspect that something sinister might be taking place. For one thing, I found the door to my unit unlocked several mornings as I left for my morning walk. I do not leave my door unlocked, ever. Again, I worried that perhaps the brain fog that comes with long COVID might be to blame, but dismissed the idea. I've never tested positive for COVID. I made an effort to be mindful of checking the door before bed, and still, the problem persisted. Persists, actually. Additionally, I have an armchair and ottoman situated in the corner of my bedroom. On several occasions, I have found them moved, angled to face the bed rather than the window. Items on my desk have been moved, slightly, but enough for me to notice. Then, the nightmares began. I have very specific dreams where I'm in the basement of my building. It is not your stereotypical spooky basement. The building is less than 10 years old, and this space is well-lit and brightly painted. However, like most below-ground space, it brings a feeling of claustrophobia. In my dreams, I'm being pursued by my neighbor. She is following me in circles as I search for an exit that I can never seem to locate. The whole time, she's talking and talking, telling me things that, in the dream at least, are incredibly disturbing, but I never remember anything specific about what she said after I wake up. In several instances, there have been other people there. They seem almost resigned to being there. They just watch. Huh, have you heard anything about the building? That was where your condo building is now? I asked. No, why? I've just heard that place was haunted. Nothing specific, just that it had a reputation. Oh, how interesting, Isabel enthused. But my neighbor only moved in a few months ago. Right, but I wonder if maybe those other people in your dream could have something to do with the previous haunting, I explained. He considered the idea. Mm, feels like a stretch. I can consider the implications of that at a later date. The pressing issue is my neighbor. Starting 10 days ago, she began visiting me every night, standing over me while I lay helpless and frozen in my bed. She just stares at me, talking and talking, telling me things horrible things. Again, I don't remember the content of her words, but I'm left with the feeling these sessions bring up. Revulsion, fear, and disgust. Oh my god, have you called the police? No. I don't think she's there in her physical body, so there's nothing they could do. I am researching ways to protect myself, but I'm concerned she'll kill me before I'm able to put anything effective in place. Why do you think she's targeting you? I asked. I have a corner unit, he replied simply. So you think she's trying to kill you for your condo? It is a south-facing unit. Does that appeal to vampires for some... No, he cut in. South-facing homes get the most sunlight. It's a major selling point. 
Oh, right, I said dumbly, just before the timer went off with its shrill ring. Janice picked it up and cranked it back to the ten-minute mark. Thank you, Arthur. Isabel and Carly, you're up. It was such an abrupt shift. I had so many more questions, but I forced a smile and turned my attention to the mother and daughter. Ours really isn't as exciting as Arthur's story, but it frightened us all the same, Isabel explained almost apologetically. We rented a home close to Central Street. I don't want to say the exact address, but it was a really cute two-bedroom house. Carly was taking classes at Mass Bay, and I work for, text in brackets, name of company omitted, and brackets. So the location was perfect for us. Prior to that, we'd been in an apartment building, and having our own home was exciting. It felt too good to be true. And it was, added Carly. Her mother nodded in agreement. I didn't believe in ghosts until we moved into that house. I didn't really even give them much thought. Just figured people made up stories to frighten one another. So I didn't want to believe what was happening until I really couldn't deny it any longer. I mentioned that it was a two-bedroom house. The first floor had the kitchen, a small full bathroom, television room, and one of the bedrooms. The second floor was quite small, just a bedroom and bathroom. That was my space. Carly took the first floor bedroom, and there was a basement too. Did I mention the house was very old? It was built in 1857, and it was in the historic district, actually. Most of the houses there were built around that time. So, well, the basement had fieldstone walls, very low ceilings. I didn't like it down there from the second we moved into that house, but with so little space upstairs, it was the only place to put our Peloton. We didn't want the thing sitting in the middle of the family room or taking up space in one of our bedrooms. It felt silly not to put it in the basement, and yet... We didn't like the idea at all. That basement was super creepy, Carly agreed. The stairs went down and then like turned at a sharp angle so you couldn't see what was around the corner. I was always convinced there would be someone standing right there when I went down to do the laundry. I stopped using the bike when we lived there. She shivered. Too creepy. Our landlord kept some of her belongings in a corner of the basement, her mom went on. Several plastic storage bins and a big old wooden cabinet. I suppose you might call it an armoire. It had room to hang clothing on the top and then four drawers at its base. I didn't pay much attention to it until this one time I was riding the Peloton and, well, it was off to the other side of the basement to my right and something made me look over and I realized that its doors were open. I was certain that it hadn't been the case before. When I was done with my ride, I went and shut them. They close firmly, so there's no chance of them swinging open on their own. I didn't think of it again until Carly mentioned the cabinet a day or two later. Yeah, I had been doing laundry, and I know for a fact that those doors were closed when I got down there, and then they were just all of a sudden open when I was headed back upstairs. I just want to point out that you're at the five-minute mark, Janice interrupted. Oh, shoot. Okay. Isabel shook her head as if to clear it. The cabinet doors had a mind of their own, but when things began to go missing and turned up in the cabinet, Carly added, right, that's when we began to really feel as though something unexplained was happening. Spooky, I enthused. What'd you find in the cabinet? Uh, My lipstick, a bracelet, some magazines, Carly listed matter-of-factly. What else? My iPad, 
my mom's reading glasses. Not all at once. This was like over a period of time. Right. Then once we saw the ghost, it sort of all fell into place, Isabel said sadly. The first time I encountered her, I was having a cup of tea at the kitchen table and watching something on the iPad. I was home alone. There was a huge crash in the living room, and I'm telling you, it was so loud that I couldn't even imagine what had happened. It sounded as though everything in the room, furniture and all, had been picked up and dropped at the same time. But when I got into the room, there was absolutely nothing out of place. I was frightened. I wondered if maybe the house was unstable, if we were about to collapse. I was about to go back and grab my purse and keys from the kitchen and leave when something moved by the couch. Actually, it was between the couch and the wall. I thought maybe an animal had gotten inside or a dog or a raccoon. I didn't know. It was all so strange. I inched further into the room so I could see what it was, and there was a girl crouched down in between the side of the couch and the wall. Not for a second did I think ghost. I thought it was just a girl in trouble. Maybe she'd run away from home or maybe she was mentally ill. I tried talking to her, but she wouldn't answer and she wouldn't look at me. She just kept her head down. You're not in trouble, I told her, and I started to crouch down to make her feel more comfortable when I heard Carly get home. She came in through the side door that led into the kitchen, and I turned away for less than a second to call her into the family room, and when I turned back, the girl was gone. Disappeared. We searched the whole house, even the basement and the little attic. You couldn't really get up there, but we got a ladder from the basement, and I stuck my head up through the hole in the ceiling to check, Carly explained. Nothing. You know what else was weird? The iPad was gone from the kitchen table. I didn't even want to look, but we found it in that cabinet. That's when we tied the two things together, the girl in the cabinet. I thought we had a ghost from the start, but mom wouldn't hear of it. The first time I saw her, I was up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and on the way back to my room, I saw who I thought was my mom walking through the kitchen. Uh-oh, I said, laughing nervously. Carly smiled. Yeah, not my mom. I called out to her and she didn't answer, but then I heard the basement door open and, I don't know, I just got a really bad feeling. I went into the kitchen and the basement door was actually open, but there weren't any lights on down there. So I went right upstairs and woke my mom up. We got up the nerve to check the basement. It was either that or call the police, and we both sort of knew they wouldn't find anyone. We hadn't had a break-in. One minute, Janice warned. Carly sighed heavily, obviously annoyed by the second interruption. Her mother went on quickly. Long story short, we got in touch with the landlord. We didn't say we thought we'd seen a ghost or anything. We just asked where the cabinet in the basement came from. She said it belonged to an old tenant. A man and his daughter had lived in the apartment about five years prior. The daughter went missing. The police deemed her a runaway, and the man moved out, and he left a bunch of stuff behind. The landlord got rid of everything but that cabinet. She thought maybe she might have used for it at some point. Wow, that's incredible, I said. Carly and Isabel exchanged a look. Well, we thought that maybe you might, you know, we're in touch with the new tenants there, and she was cut off by the alarm's shrill ringing. Everyone at the table jumped, except for Janice, who picked up the device and turned the dial. Thank you, ladies, she said. Looks like I'm up. Wait, 
I protested. What's going on with the new tenant? Isabel opened her mouth to speak, but Janice spoke over her. Let's keep questions to the end so that we can stay on schedule. She offered only a tight-lipped smile before continuing. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this neighborhood, she began, directing the comment towards me. I'm very familiar, I said, trying to hide my irritation with a woman and her knack for killing a fun, spooky vibe. I acknowledge that what I'm about to share will seem highly unlikely, but I assure you it is terrifyingly real, and I believe it has major implications for our entire town, if not the state. I believe there is at least one, possibly two, were coyotes operating in Wellesley. The Crosstown Trail appears to be their primary hunting trail, and I believe they are testing their boundaries as we speak. She sat back in her chair, seemingly satisfied with what she'd presented. But why do you think that? I asked, trying to hide my disappointment. I wanted to hear more about the psychic vampire and the ghost girl. Where coyotes? Give me a break. I have photos, she snapped. Look, I'll admit it, I was triggered. I was a late 70s baby, so I squeaked in on the tail end of Gen X. So a woman of Janice's generation snapping at me after I asked a perfectly reasonable question, it pushes the wrong buttons for me. Or maybe the right ones. I didn't even need to force myself to remain silent this time. I sat quietly, expectantly, refusing to create comfort around her outburst. Why don't you tell Liz how you came to believe the where coyote lived in your backyard? Isabel prompted gently. Of course, Janice replied haughtily. I'm an avid gardener. I'm sure you noticed the yard. I had. It was gorgeous. She must have planted over a hundred tulip bulbs last fall, but I was annoyed and feeling petty, so I offered only a slight nod. Yes, well, I spend a great deal of time out of doors, and I'm in the process of a complete overhaul in the backyard. Part of the plan is to create a privacy screen of sorts, with flowering shrubbery along the back line of the property, something to shield the yard from the Crosstown Trail. It's gotten extremely busy in the past few years, and I'm not sure what these new parents are attempting, but it seems there are zero limits placed on children today. I slow blinked at her. So, in order to create the privacy screen, I had to pull up a line of scraggly evergreen shrubs. That's where I found the first set of remains. Arthur shifted in his seat, a look of disgust on his face. It was a group of rabbits, seven of them. They hadn't been eaten. It looked to me as if something had simply drained them. Gross, I muttered. Yes, she agreed. But what are you going to do? I buried them. My boys created a pet cemetery in a corner of the yard when they were young. So sweet, Isabel commented. Right, well, over the past two and a half months, I found five additional piles of rabbit carcasses. Good Lord, I muttered. Did you call animal control? She shook her head. But what if it was some sick person doing it? That's absurd. She snapped. I disagreed. Wouldn't a were coyote just eat them? 
Who could say what these creatures' motivations might be? Janice pressed on. I decided to set up trap cameras in three different areas, one on the side yard and two in the back. She stood and maneuvered around the kitchen island to retrieve a stack of photos from a drawer. This is the first image I caught, she said, sliding a black and white grainy photo across the table. Arthur, Carly, Isabel, and I all leaned forward to get a closer look. I wasn't completely sure what I was looking at. Behind the ferns, Janice instructed. See? Kind of, I hedged. This thing here? Yes, that's its shoulder. Oh, okay. She picked the photo up and replaced it with another grainy shot. Its tail, she stated, then put down two more photos. And here are two more angles. I could definitely make out what appeared to be a furry animal, a large one at that, at the far corner of her yard. And admittedly, it looked a little weird, but it just looked like an animal. Maybe a coyote, probably a coyote, but I had no idea how she came to the conclusion it was a were animal. Interesting, I offered diplomatically. Isn't it? For the first time, I sensed excitement in her voice. I've seen them lurking in the culvert. I've warned the neighbors. Last Saturday night, I was sitting here at the kitchen table, having my tea and reading, when something hit the window. There was a dark smear on the window pane, and I went out to see what it could have been. At night? I said, incredulous. By yourself? Yes. The following morning, I took these photos. She put down three pictures. One of a blood-streaked window, a wide shot of a dead bunny lying beneath that window, and then a close-up of the animal. Yikes, I muttered, disgusted. They are brutal creatures. I believe they're trying to run me off the property, she stated matter-of-factly. Why? I just know. The sound of footsteps overhead caused everyone to look up at the ceiling. Everyone but Janice. When an explanation wasn't offered up, I asked, is someone else here? No, just us. The house is settling. She looked, I wouldn't say worried, but kind of cagey. Isabel caught my eye for the briefest moment, and her eyebrow twitched. I closed my eyes and took a deep breath in and out. It was so quick I didn't think anyone would notice, but of course they did. Are you picking up on something? Carly asked excitedly. Reel it in. Claire advised. It's not what you think, and there's no point in interacting with what it actually is. Uh, I'm not sure, I said, addressing Carly. I'm definitely catching a vibe, but I think we all are. It's the weird creatures, Janice insisted. They're stalking my home, stalking me. Do they get inside? I asked. No, never. I considered. It's weird. I don't know why they'd be draining animals of their blood. It sounds more like a vampire, chupacabra, or... I was interrupted by the shrill ringing of the timer. Isabel reached out and turned it off. Q&A time, Janice declared. I needed a break. Sorry, I said. Before we do that, may I please use your bathroom? Of course. It's right down that hallway, second door on your right. 
I was attempting to dry my hands on a towel that had been way over fabric softenered, but also carried a tang of mildew, when a thump sounded over my head, followed quickly by another on the wall behind me, then three quick taps seemingly beneath the vanity. Where are coyotes? I whispered, earning a chuckle from Claire. I dropped the towel and scurried out of the powder room to the kitchen, walking into a tense silence. So, do you have any questions for us? Challenged Janice. Oh, sure, yes, I stammered, but I couldn't think clearly. Um, actually, Carly cut in, I wondered if we might ask you a few questions about your clear audience. Sure, shoot, I replied gratefully. We filled the allotted 20 minutes talking about what it's like to hear and see ghosts, and I was incredibly relieved to say my goodbyes and offer good wishes and leave the increasingly spooky house. Pretty fucked up, right? Claire commented once I'd fastened my seatbelt. I'll say, what kind of cryptid drains rabbits and leaves them in piles all over the place? It's not a were-coyote or whatever the hell she called it. So then what is it? Claire tisked, obviously disgusted. What? It's her. Oh my god, she's a werewolf? This made Claire laugh so hard that it took her a moment to pull herself together. No, she said finally. She's not a werewolf, she just wants attention. But those photos. That was her in an old fur coat. She staged them. Jesus Christ, she's just killing all those bunnies to make people think there are cryptids in her backyard? Fucking sicko. What she should be worried about is that hat man, Claire said. It hasn't gone anywhere, and they're always looking for a target. Oh, so that's what's lurking around. Mm-hmm. We drove in silence for a time. She actually threw a dead bunny at her own window? Yeah, at least that's what the old woman who used to live next door told me. She sticks around because her daughter inherited the house, and she's pissed she let the garden go. Anyway, Janice trapped all those rabbits and then... Stop, I insisted. I don't want to hear another word. If you haven't yet, please follow me on Instagram at Ghosts in the Burbs. It's the best place to find updates about the show. I'm getting my act together to make some more spooky book, movie, and podcast recommendations during this hiatus, and you'll find those on Instagram, too. Actually, I have a recommendation for you right now. I just finished listening to The Exorcist on Audible. It's read by the author, William Peter Blatty, and it is true perfection. His writing is so utterly gorgeous and subtle and terrifying that it makes me want to give up horror writing and leave it to the pros. I can't recommend it enough. Head over to ghostsintheburbs.com for all the links, and I'll meet you back here in the fall. So until our high holy season, good night, sleep tight, and don't forget your nightlight. So you think she's trying to kill you for your condo? Those are fireworks. Well, it's a wonderful weekend.
we had the fair this morning. Nope, the parade this morning, then the fair, and now. Yeah, definitely picking that up. Pause recording.